Welcome to Bear Creek AG's online service podcast. We're so glad that you tuned in with us today. We upload a new service every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. So we look forward to having you tune in with us again. Here's today's message. Wow. What a wonderful time of worship we've had. And Roy sharing his testimony. God's good. He's good, and I am so thankful that he is, and I'm thankful that you are here today. If you would, turn your Bibles to 2 Kings 19. I've got about a two-hour message to do in 30 minutes, but you know what? We're in the house of miracles today, so just hang tight with me, all right? We're going to forgo any stories. We're going to forgo any jokes. We're going to go right to the message, and I'm glad that you're here today. Um, we're going to begin two- or three-week series on the subject of depression, Subject of depression. This has been dear to my heart. It's dear to my heart for two reasons. One of the reasons it is is because so many of you, so many of God's people, fight and deal with depression every day. It's, it's a real, real thing. And to be totally transparent, I'm not going to tell you all my story. The second reason this is really heavy to my heart is because I'm one of those people who suffer from depression from time to time. I have not been clinically diagnosed. It's nothing like that. So uh, not that that makes it right or wrong, worse or better. I'm just saying I know that I struggle from time to time with depression. For the sake of time, I'm not going to share a lot of my backstory. But the worst case of depression I think I ever encountered was about two years ago. It was the year after Hurricane Michael. Uh, Reality is when Hurricane Michael hit, I didn't have time to be depressed. (laughs) Can I be honest with you? I was busy. It was just a hectic, Katie bar the door type of life. But I think, I think a year after Hurricane Michael, seeing that the devastation was still prevalent in our community. Many of you were still rebuild, rebuilding your homes. That, that was heavy. That was heavy. My son was living with me. My oldest son was living with me. And his house, uh, we were rebuilding his house. And, and, and that took a lot. We were rebuilding our church, and that, that was heavy. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm human. I try not to look at numbers. I really didn't think there'd be this great of a crowd. I mean, let's face it, I'm competing with Tim Tebow today. Uh, so I'm surprised that I have as many here today. Uh, but I think the Lord needed you here to hear this message today. Uh, or maybe y'all went to the early service. I always got up to go to the early service. I didn't know if I'd be welcome, though, uh, being a Pentecostal. But anyways, not that you would. I didn't mean it that way, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, and then, and then not long after the storm, my mother was diagnosed with dementia. And that, that really hit me hard. It was a lot, lot, lot on me. And so there was a lot going on. I felt very overwhelmed. And I did what many of you do. I just retreated into my shell. I played the part. I showed up. And, and I gave it my best effort. I gave it my all. I still prayed. I still loved God. Uh, but I, 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 w- I went into my shell. I, I, I just, just, you know... If you, if you suffer from it of any type on any level, you know how you operate with that. And it was a real deal. And I'm being very transparent today, so please don't hold this against your pastor. I'm just being, being very honest with you. Um, about a year after the storm, it was October 2019, I was, like I said, I was really, it was hitting me hard. And I guess I was in denial. I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm Pentecostal. I'm filled with the Spirit. Come on, I'm not supposed to fight depression. I'm not supposed to have it. But I did, and we had our, our, our district uh, council, it was in Crestview, and, 
And, and my pastor, uh, Pastor Tommy Moore, had invited a psychiatrist uh, from Emerge Ministries, which is an Assemblies of God facility in Ohio, and invited, and any pastor who was, whose church was damaged from Hurricane Michael was invited to set in for a 30, 40-minute session with this gentleman, and I didn't do it. I said, no, I don't, I don't need that. There again, denial. And then about a couple of weeks forward, I said, you know, what's, what can it hurt? Right? So I sat down with this gentleman, and just, he just asked me. He just really just asked me how things were going, and he didn't give me a diagnosis after 30, 40 minutes. You can't diagnose somebody. But he, he listened, and, and he finally just told me, he says, Tony, your problem is, is you're suffering from compassion fatigue. It's caring about everybody and carrying the load of everybody. Some of y'all can relate. Teachers do that. Come on. Doctors and nurses do that. I mean, there's certain fields that we do that. And, and so he says, you know, the, the best thing for you to do is just understand that. And then f- basically he said, follow your preaching. Cast your cares upon the Lord. Pray for your people, but know that you're not their Messiah. You're not their Messiah. And it, it did. It, it helped out a lot. But it doesn't mean that I don't still battle it from time to time. And so with that, um, I did some research and started reading and studying and stuff like that. The fact is, is many of God's people suffer from depression. And since March of 2020, the number of people suffering from it has risen dramatically. Listen to these stats. Since March of 2020, calls to mental health hotlines are up 900%. 900%. 25% of young adults under the age of 30 considered suicide. One out of every four under age 30. 10% of those above age 30 considered suicide. Antidepressant medication use went up 300% since of March of 2020, a little over a year and a half ago. One out of nine people are on some type of depression medication. Now, this is not a message anti-medication whatsoever. Understand that. I, I fully understand. I'm just trying to bring out the pandemic. This is a real problem. It's the number one medical problem in the world. It's the number one medical problem in our country today. But you know what I believe? I believe it is a problem that God can solve in his people. I believe that today. I believe that God is a miracle. If he can raise the dead, if he can cause the blind eyes to see and the deaf ears to open, if he can cause those who are lame to walk, I believe God can also heal us and help us in managing when we go through these problems. So the next two weeks, we're going to look at that subject, possibly three weeks, of depression. And this week, we're going to discover how you get in the cave. Okay, we're going to look at the life of Elijah. Many of y'all know that story. But we're going to look at the life of Elijah, and we're going to look at how we get in the cave. And for a week, I'm going to leave you in the cave. Okay, and then next week, we're going to come out and see how he came out of the cave. But today, we're going to look at how he was, how he actually took himself into this cave. Okay, and... Um, now, I need to give credit where credit's due. Some of the stats I've already used, some of the quotes I'll be using, even some of the, some of the points that you will see on this, is, is I, they're not original within me. God gave me words to add to this. But really, I need to give credit to a book that I began reading and, and rereading. It's called Out of the Cave by Chris Hodges. It's a great book. I recommend it if you've struggled with depression. It's a great book to get. Uh, it will help you 
uh, see some of the, and we're going to talk about some of the footholds, some of the stumbling blocks that we, we, we impose, we do ourselves to bring it up on ourselves. And so I need to give him credit for that. It's a great, great, great book. But before we do that, there's three things I want to bring out. And I love the fact that right now, I've, I think I've got everybody's attention in here because I think probably every one of us has struggled with this or know somebody has. So first thing, we've got to, we've got to set a, a, a table. We've got to set some ground rules here, okay? Because uh, depression is a real thing. Mental health issues is a real thing. Uh, and we have to understand that sometimes there are real biological uh, contributions to depression and anxiety, okay? There can be things genetically or biologically within our system, within our brain, our minds, that can bring on depression and anxiety. But the problem is if we let biology dictate the narrative, then we're stuck with that narrative. What we have to understand is there are some steps that we can take to prevent it. And once it has, if it has come upon you, how we can get out of that cave. Okay. That, that's what this message is about today. I'm not against medication. I'm not. There are people who need it, just like there's people who have attention deficit who need it. They're just like some people need heart medication who need it, high blood pressure medication that need it, okay? So I'm, I'm not, this is not a message that I want you to feel leaving depressed and condemnation about. I'm just trying to show you that there are some things that we can do that, that can prevent it from getting worse than what it is. So we need to understand that depression is nothing more than a signal in your mind that something is wrong. I want you to think about that statement. Is it up there? Good. It's a signal. It's not that you're broken. It's a signal that there's something that needs to be addressed in your life, okay? If you are depressed, if you're anxious, if you, it, it, you're, it, you're, not, you're not crazy. We've given the stigma that you are crazy if you're having depression or mental issues. What I've found is there's a real stigma around the topic of depression, especially within the church world. Okay, we, we have to, this is a real issue. It's a pandemic. It, it's affecting more people than the coronavirus is. And I would say over history, we'll see that it's killed more people than the coronavirus has. And it's a real stigma. We have to be careful. As I look around this room, I see Brother Ben wears glasses. I see Brother Andy's in, in, a, in, a, in a walker. Some of y'all need hearing aids. Some of y'all have them on. Some of you don't, but you need them, right? Come on. I need to lighten the mood a little bit. I know. What is that? That's parts of your body that aren't functioning to their, their peak performance. They're not working and functioning the way they ought to be. But you know what? I don't think, matter of fact, I wear contacts. You may not know that. I, I wear contacts. And without them, I'm, I'm blind. I can't see. Well, blind is I, don't, I know there's some people who are legally blind. I'm not that, but I mean, it's bad. But I don't look at you and think that you're broken or misfit or you lack faith. And we have to understand when it comes to those who are suffering from mental illness, depression, anxiety, whatever, it is the same way. We, we have to get beyond the stigma and we, we have to stop allowing the, the mental illness to define who we are. See? Does this make sense? This, we, we have to get to this place, and the church needs to be the number one place for people to be able to come and feel the safety where they can really share what they're going through. So why? It's what our motto is, so that they can 
find freedom from it. See? It, everything we do needs to come back to this right here. They gotta feel like they're comfortable here where they can what, meet God if they don't know God, then get plugged into a small group where they can work on their challenges, their issues, and find freedom, whatever it is, so that what? They can find their purpose and make a difference. See? It does not have to be your identity. Identity. The third thing is you need to know and understand is that God wants you set free. Sometimes we believe the narrative, this is just my lot in life. This is just what God has planned for me. And I'm here to tell you, that's a lie from the enemy. Jesus came to set us free. I thought I'd get a lot more amens than that. He came to set us free from our sins. He came to set us free from death, but he came to set us free from anything and all things that come upon us that are not part of his plan for our lives. And, and I can tell you right now, mental illness is not part of God's plan for you. So don't own it. Don't let it be your identity. Sherry, sometimes I've had a credit and she got out of it for a long time. Not her mental illness. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but she has multiple sclerosis. And for so long, she was saying, my disease. And I started rebuking her. That's not your disease. I know what you're trying to communicate. But don't claim that disease. That's not your disease. You have a disease. And by faith, we're believing you're not. In the same way, you don't have to be identified. We have to understand that it's not who you are. It's not who you are, and God wants to set you free. Do not deny the signals. Don't go into denial about it. Seek help. Find relief. Find some freedom. God wants to set you free today, and I believe that. The reality is even the best of us struggle, and we see that in the Bible, don't we? Think about this. God uses all kinds of people in the Bible. Think about it. He, he's used murderers, many murderers. He's used prostitutes. I mean, we, he's, I mean, he's used all kinds, and he even used people who suffered from depression or who were in depressed states. Think about this. Jeremiah, who is a prophet of God, he wrote a whole book called Lamentation, which is basically a book of depression. It is. You read it, you'll see how depressed he was. And in one of the scriptures, in chapter 3, verse 17, I believe it's going to be on the board. Listen to what he said. He says, my soul is bereft, or my soul is what? Deprived of peace. I have no peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. Nothing is going right in my life. Nothing is going as my plan. Uh, my job's not going the way my man. I don't have a job. That's how bad things are. Uh, nobody's listening to me. Why am I called a prophet? Nobody's you know, I mean, you might can relate to that. Nobody listens, nobody listens to me in my house. I don't know if anybody listens to me in church anymore, but I hope you are today, right? right. Come on, my marriage is failing. I'm now speaking... Not, I'm speaking theoretically here. My marriage is not failing. But you hear my heart. This is what Jeremiah is saying. He says, nothing, my health, my business, my kids, my marriage, it's all going to pot. So I say, he quotes, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. It, it, it seems like now he says, I can't go on anymore. I can't even depend on God. He's saying, where are you, God? He goes on, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. This is always on his mind. All this wormwood means bitterness. The gall means the bad. He says, this is what's on my mind. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Mine would be too if this is what I thought about all the time. It even happened to the Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Right at two-thirds of the New Testament, a little over half. 
2 Corinthians 1.8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experienced in Asia. And Paul's saying, I want you to bear what I'm going through. Just because I'm an apostle, just because I've laid hands on people and they've been healed, just because I speak in tongues, just because God's used to be plant churches, it doesn't mean everything goes the way I want it to. It doesn't mean life doesn't affect me. He's saying life affects me. Things were so bad, he goes on, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is the Apostle Paul who had a physical encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Things are so bad, he says, I want to die. I mean, I don't know if I can keep going. A prophet and apostle who are saying, I don't think I can take this much longer. I've been there. I've got the mug, the t-shirt, and I got the tattoo. No, no tattoo, but you know what I'm saying. I've been there. I understand. Man of God, we're going to focus on today and next Sunday is Elijah. And I need to really pick the pace up, but I really want to set the foundation for this week and next week. Elijah, one of the greatest, if not the greatest prophet in all the Bible. He is, he is, he is the guy who shows up on the Mount Figuration with Moses and Jesus. We believe he's going to be one of the two witnesses that comes back in Revelation. We don't know. But we feel very confident, though. He's only one of two people who never died. Elijah did great great miracles. And over in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, you find two of the greatest miracles and some of the greatest preaching materials. I've preached these I don't know how many times, but it's where he faces 850 false prophets of, of Baal and Asherah. You know the story. Israel had fallen away from God. He finally shows up. It's been a three-year famine. God says, it's time to confront uh, uh, King uh, Ahab and Queen uh, Jezebel. And, and so he goes and he says, listen, people, you have to serve today. decide today who you're going to serve. And so he says, bring your prophets. He said, you take a bull. I'm going to take a bull. It was a duel of the altars. I love it. You build your altars. I'm going to build my altars. You sacrifice to your God. I'm going to sacrifice the one true God. And the God who answers by fire, he is the real God. Great idea. So those false prophets go over, they build their altar. They do it. They cut themselves. They dance around and they singing and shouting. And Elijah's over there mocking them. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he didn't sing louder. You know the story. Maybe he's in the bathroom. You know, whatever. And when they got done, Elijah, he cut up his sacrifice, prepared it the way it was supposed to be prepared. And he made it even harder, not on God, but he just wanted to show the power of God. And he covered it in water and dug a trench and poured it with water. And he prayed and God sent fire from heaven. What a great victory. I mean, it, it burned up everything. And then he had the 850 false prophets killed by the sword. Whoo, take care of that problem. Man, I wish we could do that today. And then, of course, the other miracle is they'd been in a drought, and he goes and prays. Great story, and God sends rain. You would think after those two great miracles, man, he'd be having a party at his house and inviting everybody over. Come on, let's celebrate, right? But that's not the case. That's not the case. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 through 4. Now Ahab, who was the king, told Jezebel, his queen, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, and notice, she did not send somebody to kill Elijah. She sent a message. You would think a guy who just had those two great victories uh, done through him by God would, would be able to take a little Facebook message from somebody who doesn't like him, right? A little text from somebody who's upset, a little pay, piece of hate mail that comes in your inbox. But obviously he didn't. He had a hard time with this. So she continues, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life 
life like that of one of them. That was a threat. That was the text message. I'm going to kill you tomorrow. By the end of the day, you're going to be done. And so Elijah panicked. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Now, what's interesting, don't have time to go into this, but Beersheba is the place that Elijah was called into ministry. He went back to the place of his calling. He left his servant and he left his place of calling. Don't have time to preach that. But I think we can all relate to that sometimes when we go through depression, when we get panicked, when we have anxiety. We, we have a tendency to run and leave our place of calling, leave our calling. Okay, I'm not going to preach that, but that's a great message in itself. You do the studying yourself on that one. All right. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and he prayed. So he prayed a prayer you might have prayed before in your life, maybe many times over the last three years. Um, he just says, Lord, take me. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I am burnt out. I'm tired of threats. I'm tired of people not believing in me. I'm tired of people not following. I'm tired of the phone calls. I'm tired of the text. I'm tired of the emails. I'm tired of, of, of carrying the burden for so many other people. I'm tired. I'm tired. He's ready to give up. And he, from there, we'll get to this next week, he went into a cave. And as Chris so clearly states it in his book, I think a cave is the greatest way to describe depression. It's dark. You know there's a way out, but sometimes you can't find your way out. You have to feel your way around, and you don't necessarily like what you feel in a cave that's dark, and it can be scary. It can feel like a trap. So what can we learn from Elijah in these first four verses and how he got to this place? Again, I want to acknowledge today that counseling and medication are needed at times. This is not an anti-counseling and medication. But I think we also need to understand that there are factors that we can control that contribute to our depression. And those are the things I want to talk about today. And the first one, let's just jump right into it. I think if you get your church app, these notes are in your church app, I believe. So you can look at that if you want to take notes. But I just want you to hear your pastor's heart. Actually, hear the heart of God today. The first is it life in balance. Life's in balance. Studies have shown that depression is more about the way we live, hear me, than it is about the chemical imbalance so many of us seem to have. Our lifestyle is the major contributor to depression. And you think about it. Think about Elijah's depression. It came after what? Two great victories in life. These were bang, bang, and it wasn't, listen, the word came from Jezebel within just a few days, if not that same day after this great victory. And suddenly he is overwhelmed. And you know what I find? You know when the toughest day of the week is for me personally, I speak for myself, is on Sunday afternoons. And the reason why is because we come in here, we have great moves of God, and it is physically and it's emotionally and it's spiritually draining. When I walk here, leave here, I'm so give out, and I have to be so sensitive to what I allow myself to listen to, what I watch. That's why, to be honest with you, I love sports on Sunday afternoon so I can turn them on and drown out the noise and I can sleep so well at times when that, that ball game's going on, right? It doesn't wake me up. But, the, the, but truthfully, what I really like to do is I like to go out to eat, obviously, and then I like to do something with my family. It used to be a big family day and then Alex got married and there went that. Um, <laughs> no, sometimes they're able to. I have to share him now with his wife every once in a while. But Trevor and I, will do something together as a family, and it's important, but we have to understand that we, get, we are so, so busy. 
We have to be careful of the pace that we're keeping. For, for, for a time, your pace is doable. But can I be honest with you, church? Many of y'all are at a pace that's not sustainable. Can, I, can your pastor to be honest with you for a minute? That you, can, you can do what you're doing, but you may not be able to sustain what you're doing. Not without a cost. And there's a cost for everything. There is a cost for everything. And you need to understand, you know, working 10, 12 hours a day, six or seven days a week, that's not sustainable. I, I used to be able to do that as a young man. I'm not young any longer. Mm-mm. Can't do it anymore. And you have to use wisdom. Running the kids here and there, chasing after everything. Why are you spoiling them brats? <laughs> no, I believe in investing in kids. But you need to be careful about chasing here and there and getting them involved with everything under the moon. Everything under the sun. You, you need to have a healthy family balanced time. Trying to maintain a house and a yard. You're either too busy or too tired to even be faithful to church on Wednesdays and Sundays. I'm sure some of y'all are depressed just me pointing this out to you today. But this is a reality. Right? Not even too tired. Too wore out. Because you work Monday through Friday that you kill yourself on Saturday. Doing things that need to be done. I get it. Our lifestyles are killing us. We literally bring it on ourselves. So what do we do? It's very simple. You need to order your life. You need to pay attention to the pace. Ecclesiastes 4, 6. Listen, um, Solomon says, better one handful of tranquility. Better one handful of peace. Is that what you want? You, how many of y'all right now say, I want peace in my life? Come on. Without looking at the rest of Scripture, I'm going to tell you a way you can get sound mind and peace and rest right here. He says, better is tranquility with what? With one handful than two handfuls with what? Toiling. That's an old-fashioned word, stressing. Toiling and chasing after the wind. You may have two hands, but it's not always good to have both those hands full. You may have 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but it's not good, it's not healthy, mentally, physically, or spiritually, to fill every waking moment with something going on. Listen to me. God didn't have to have the seventh day off to rest, but he did it for us. God doesn't get tired. He set an example. You need a day of rest. Do you hear me? Do I need to come down here and get in some of y'all's faces? You need a day of rest. Now, some of y'all need to get busy and get working, but the rest of y'all know. <laughs> you need a day of rest. You, you need to slow it down. You don't. Listen, some of y'all are chasing after the wind and you're tired and you've created a lifestyle that's not sustainable. And it's taken its toll on you. Secondly, Remember in verse 4 when Elijah said he was no better than his ancestors? What was he doing there? This is a biggie. He was comparing himself. He basically said, I'm no better than my ancestors. He was comparing himself. So another reason why people are depressed is because we're looking around at other people, and what are we doing? We are comparing ourselves to them and what they are doing. Trying to keep up with the Smiths. See? And you know what? Facebook is good about that, isn't it? Isn't it a great tool? It's a wonderful tool. But what is it good about? It's good for you to keep up with other people, isn't it? I mean, it's a social environment. Well, it's really not social, but where you stay connected. It's called social media, but we know that it's, it's, it's more of a way of connecting. What you can do is you go out and you can see what everybody else is doing, right? Where they've been, what they've eaten, where they're going, what their plans are. I mean, come on, come on. You, 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 know? you know what? You do not need to know everything about everybody else. Wow. 
There's a lot of men, amen, in that. Boy, did you hear the amen, pastor? Look, guys, I only have one couch and one spare bed. I can only take two guys in tonight, okay? So y'all make it up. Take your wives out to a nice, nice lunch, all right? But we don't. You don't have to nor need to know everything about everybody else. I love what Teddy Roosevelt said. He says, we don't need to know everything about everybody else because comparison is the thief of joy. When you start comparing yourself to other people, you want to be like them. You want what they, I want to be like Mike. See, and it steals your joy. We don't need to know everything about everybody, okay? The more you wonder why people are doing what they're doing, have what they have, and are going where they're going, the more it robs you of the joy God wants to give you. Listen to Paul in Galatians chapter six. I'm glad you're able, I think I've got you here. Each one should test their own actions. Look at yourself. Test your own action. Test your motives. Then, then they can take pride. This is a godly pride, not an ungodly pride, in themselves alone. Don't, don't be looking at everybody. Look at yourself without comparing themselves to someone else. You don't have to compare yourself to somebody. The only standard is Jesus. Not even your pastor. Don't compare yourself to me. I mean, yeah, I'm a handsome, nice-looking, smart guy. But no, no, don't compare I have repented. I'll be in the altars after service. Absolutely. And to my guests, I don't apologize. But if you've got complaints, uh, Glenn Hood, I'll give you his email. You can complain to him. So. But you hear my heart. You hear the heart of God tonight. Be as intentional about what you don't know as you are to what you do know. I thought that was a good quote. There are things that you could know, but you know what you don't need to know. I don't need to know what you did yesterday. If you want to tell me, come see me, right? I, I know some of y'all shake your heads. I know. All right, I'm going to get some hate mail. I know. I don't need to know how much you like the new Starbucks flavor or the fact that the pumpkin spice is about to come out. <laughs> I don't really need to know this. <laughs> Amen. You know what? This, this one, you can tell I've been out there. I did some surfing, did. I, I, I've been doing some cyber stalking on some of y'all. Listen to me. I won't call her name out. But I don't need to know what is better, the centerpiece of the brownies or the corner piece of the brownie. Because you look at this fat boy. I eat both. Come on, somebody. Amen? Amen. I don't need to know that. I don't need to know that. I'm having fun now. And actually, um, I hope you hear my heart. Can I be honest with you? I'm not anti-social media. I'm really not. It's a tool. It's like fire. Is fire good or bad? Depends on how you use it. Depends on, it's amoral. Depends on how you, and so we use it. There's people here I didn't even welcome. Glad you guys are joining us this morning. Forgive me for not welcoming you online. But the reality of it is, it's a, good, it's a great tool. And it is a way we can stay connected. I, I said, I'm, you know, I, I try to help Miss Pat figure out her wardrobe every week. I, 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 I do. What pair of shoes to wear with this dress? I mean, I have fun with it. So I'm not against it. But my point is you have to monitor this. That's all this is, my point is about this. Don't compare yourself to others. We have to be careful because some of the depression that we're facing, this is one of the contributions. We compare ourselves. Okay, let me continue on. This is a big one. The third thing that contributes to depression is ruminating or self-talk. Ruminating. Uh, ruminating basically is a word describes certain types of animals that chew the cud, but I won't go into all that for time's sake. It really means that you keep concentrating on the demise or the situation that you're in. Ruminating. 
It's, it's, it just means that, you know how an animal chews the cud, swallows it, spits it back, chews the cud, swallows it, spits it back up, chews it. It's that constant reliving the circumstances, your situation over and over in your mind. We didn't get to this scripture we, 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 for time's sake, but Elijah had a conversation with, call, with God uh, prior to this saying, God, where are you? I'm the, I'm the only good guy left. I'm the only prophet left. I'm doing all this on my own. He's looking at his circumstances and the challenges of his life, feeling overwhelmed with it. He says, God, where are you? I'm doing this all by myself. Why did you send it? Which was a lie. And he knew it was a lie. If you know the story, he ran into to, to, to the, I forget the gentleman's name, but it was, it was, he was worked for King Ahab. He was actually trying to go out and find Elijah for King Ahab, but he was a good guy. And he says, I've hid away some prophets. You're not by yourself. I've been feeding them in a cave over here. Probably not a good place to put them. I don't know. See, but what happened was he started believing a lie that he knew was not true. Elijah was doing what psychologists call ruminating. Like I said, it's where you take your distress and keep thinking about it and processing it. What happens is it doesn't get better. Think about it. When have you, when you kept repeating over your moment, all your all the pain, all the sorrow, all, when has that made it better? It might make it better when you talk to somebody about it and they pray with you about it. But just rerunning it over and over in your head doesn't make it better. It makes it worse. The letdowns, the disappointments, the bad days, no one liking my Facebook posts, right? It just gets worse. And that's what Elijah did. He got alone in his thoughts and it got worse and worse until he thought he believed a lie. He created a lie. And the enemy thrives in your mind. We look at sickness and heartache and the challenges and jobs and relationships as, as, but can I tell you something? The real fight is in your mind. That's where he comes against you the most. Your mind is the battlefield, as Joyce Myers likes to say, I give her credit. It's also the prize. And if the enemy wins the battle, he wins you. He wins your thoughts. If you fight the battle and deny those negative thoughts, quit ruminating, quit repeating, quit doing the self-talk, quit believing the lies that nobody cares about me, nobody loves me, nobody's checked on me, no, nobody knows what I'm going through, nobody's ever been through what I'm going through, and that may be true. I don't want to make light of that. Just don't keep repeating this stuff over and, and listening to the lies, because long you're going to think, God has forsaken me. The church doesn't love me. No one cares. And all it is is a spiral. And I see this in many of you. You believe it, and then you isolate yourself. And you become prey. The enemy preys on you. And he eats you and he devours you. A well-known author and public speaker Brian Tracy says 95% of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to yourself. I don't know how accurate that is, but I can see the truth in it. I can see the truth in it. Philippians 4, 8, Paul writing to the church in Philippi says, finally, come on, missionettes, where are my stars? Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is true, 
noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Don't think about the problem at the workplace. Don't think about what you're going to Quit thinking about your bank account. Quit thinking about what you believe other people are saying about you. Quit thinking about that comment somebody made or no one made any comments about. Quit thinking about those things. And what? Think on things such as these, things that are pure, excellent, lovable, admirable, worthy to be thought about, right, get in the right thinking. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Be a doer of the word, not a hearer on. And the God of peace will be with you. You have peace of mind. The peace that passes all understanding when you quit thinking about all this negativity and start thinking about all the good things in life. The power of positive thinking. It's the secular world says they get it from here positive. Control your mind, control your life. Control your mind, control your life. Control your mind, control your life. The mind controlled by the spirit is a life of peace. The mind controlled by the flesh is dark, gloomy, it's depression, it's gloom, despair, and agony on me. Don't let your flesh, don't let the enemy win the battle of the mind. Let me quickly move on to the next one. Another contributor to depression is the inability to process pain in a healthy way. Oh, we know about this, right? We have somehow adopted the belief that bad things aren't supposed to happen to God's people. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you believe that. Do you know it rains on the just and the unjust? And boy, have we not seen rain lately, right? It does. It does. Nowhere in the Bible does it say bad things shouldn't happen to God's people. What it says is that God will be there with us. God will see you through it. He'll, he'll pull you, drag you, push you, whatever he has to do. But God is there. He will be with you in the storm. But that doesn't mean the storm doesn't come. You have to know God does love you. He does care for you. He will provide and protect. But things still are going to happen in this world. So it's not if they happen, but it's when they happen and what you do when they happen. How do you process the disappointment? How do you process the pain? How do you process loss? We have to be healthy about this. We all experience that kind of pain in life. So it's not matter if, but when. And what happens is so often we turn to other things to cope with our pain. All right? Drugs. Legal and illegal. Right? Alcohol. Come on. How about food? You know what? I'm not going to tell you. I gained a bunch of weight after Michael. And then being stuck in the house for three, almost three months with my family... I think I ate the pain off the walls. I mean, I was eating everything. Why? I was dealing with my pain, my stress, the anxiety. I was facing the same things you all were facing. I put on a lot of weight. And we do that as Christians. We, we not those who are on drugs, those who are doing alcohol, but we, what do we do? We eat or we TV binge. I'm not anti-TV, but we binge. We just get there and sit in front of the booth. Oh, we just get lost in an, in, in an alternate reality. We, I mean, how many of y'all watched Friends from beginning to end during the pandemic? Yeah, you know, come on. I just want friends right now. That's all I want is someone who loves me or cheers. I just want somebody to know my name, right? Besides, Tony, will you do this? Tony, will you do that? No, you got me. All right. Yeah. Younger generation, and not so young, get lost in their video games. Staying up late at night watching, playing video games. Why? They're escaping to reality that's not reality. They're, they're trying to escape their pain their loneliness, their disappointment. 
See? All right. How about this? According to the Washington Post, during the full quarantine in 2020, overdoses nationally jumped in March 18%. They jumped up in March 18%. In April, they jumped up 29% from that. And in May of 2020, it jumped up another 42%. See, why? People were isolated. See, they, they, were, they were isolated. They were isolated and they were hurting and they had no way to process their pain. When I was working on my graduate degree, there was a required reading um, called The Meaning of Life by uh, uh, Victor Frankl. And he, he was a psychiatrist who lived um, in, the, in the 50s. And he, he took Holocaust survivors, concentration camp survivors, and, and he ministered. He had a facility he took them to. And every one of them was suicidal because of two things. One, because of what they witnessed, all they went through. But the biggest pain they had was dealing with why did I live and so-and-so didn't. Survivor syndrome. And so he approached it, un unlike what Sigmund Freud, who was the leading psychiatrist of the day, or his, he's still well-known today if you've done any classes, psychology. His, his theory, Freud's, uh, Freud's theory was that man's whole drive in life is pleasure. Everything we do is for pleasure. We're, we're, we're seeking pleasure. But Frankel had another theory. He says, no, he says, it's not, it's not about, goal of life is not about pleasure. He said, the goal of life is purpose and meaning. And he said, if you don't have purpose and meaning, you will dull your life with pleasures. I'm going to say it again because that's part of what we're trying to do with people here, right? Help people find meaning, their place. If you, if you don't have meaning and purpose, you will drown out your life or dull your life with pleasure. Finding that what pleasures you today will not pleasure you tomorrow. Or you have to have more of it. Whether it's alcohol, drugs, sex, food, video game. I mean, I'll go down the gamut. I'll go all the way down the list. I'll finally get one that some of y'all deal with. I think I have probably, right? And so what he did is he created a theory or a program, and it's called Logotherapy, L-O-G-O therapy. And in it, he has three points, and I'm going to quickly move on because I know the hour is getting late here, and I probably shouldn't even said that because you're going to look at your watches. Don't look at your watches. Obey me. And the whole thing was this. He said the three things that we have to do is we have to help people find their purpose. Then they need to get into a community. And this is funny. I didn't craft this to go with this, but this is why we're, I'm telling you, help them find the meaning of life in a community of people that will support them, see? And then help them find the meaning of their pain. What's behind their pain? And then to use their pain for good. Because we all go through it, so how can it be used for good? And he, he, is, he, he wrote in that book that not a single one of his patients killed themselves because he helped them find their purpose, meaning in life, put them in a group of supportive people who loved them and supported them, and then helped them find the meaning in their pain and then used that to help others. And it worked. And it's interesting. That's exactly what we try to do here. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, God comforts us in all of our troubles. 
know that. God cares. But why? Not just so that we can be comforted, right? Not so we can just get better, so that we can want comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Read it again, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we've received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. We may have abundance of suffering, but we also have at our disposal abundance of comfort. If we are distressed, uh, it is for your comfort and salvation. What we go through can help others. See, it's what he's saying. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. There is purpose in your pain. Every one of you, hear me today. What you're going through, what you've been through, there is purpose in your pain. Your life experiences, your pains, your failures, your disappointments, Listen to me, those things do not disqualify you. What they do is qualify you. What you've gone through, what you've done doesn't disqualify you. What it does, it qualifies you, and what it does, it qualifies you to be used of God to help others that's going through what you've been through. Yeah, that's good. Some of y'all need to know that today. Don't be identified by your depression, what you've gone through, or what you've done, if it's not depression, no. If anything, that qualifies you to help someone who's been through what you've been through, okay? You can find meaning. Experts say that we're the loneliest society in, in the history of, of human history. Because of the digital age, we have more connections. We, we're connected. We're connected with our iPads, our, our computers, our phones. We're just connected. We have more connections, but we have fewer real relationships than any time in the history of mankind. We are the loneliest generation in, in history of mankind. You remember what the first problem, I'm, I'm, for time's sake, I'm just going to skip over the scriptures. I'll, just, I'll refer to them. Remember what the first problem uh, in, the, in the book of Genesis was? It wasn't sin. Remember the first, first problem was in Genesis? Loneliness. It's not good that man should be alone. God saw that. It wasn't a mistake. I think God, I think God allowed Adam to do everything he had to do to see that he needed a woman to fix everything. I say that tongue-in-cheek, but I think God says you, you can't do it. That's that pace that's not sustainable. You need a helpmate. It was loneliness. It was loneliness, okay? Look at what the virus did to us during 2020. Remote learning, remote work, drive-through, curbside, food pickup, online church, all activities stopped, all social activities stopped, unless you were a member of Congress. I'm sorry. Never mind. I'm sorry. Now this is going to be censored on Facebook. They're going to put a censor on me. I'm going to be in Facebook jail, I know. <laughs> oh, one of the main reasons depression, depression, depression medication and suicides rose so much last year because we shut down everything. We just did not socialize. God did not design us to be loners. Never designed us to be loners. You're not an individual. You're part of a body. Romans 12, 5. So in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We need each other. I know that the coronavirus, COVID-19, is real. I want you to do precautions. I want you to do what's in your best interest. So this is not condemnation. But can I tell you something? You need us. You need me. And I need you. 
I need you in my life, not just digitally, but physically. I need to fellowship. I need to worship with you. I need to be in prayer with you. I need to be doing life with you. God designed us. And I know right now this is conflict. I mean, this is crazy times. So I'm not beating anybody up. I, mean, I didn't know we'd even have this many people today. It's good. It's good. I prayed this morning. Lord, don't let the virus come in here. Heal those, those, those heathens in the name of Jesus, right? But seriously, we need each other need each other. And the last one, as I'm going to invite my worship team to come back. And of course, I didn't mention the fact that I guess I should relate this to Elijah. He, loaned, he, he, he isolated himself from even his helper. That's what my point was. He left his helper there and went on to the cave. Next week, we're going to pick it up there. But there's one that really isn't mentioned, but I, 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 don't want, to be, I want to be careful not to add to the word of God. But I think with understanding the totality of the whole counsel of the Word of God, this, this one can't be denied. And it's one that sometimes we often overlook. Or we, we, maybe we don't overlook it, but we don't understand this. This, all, this one, spiritual warfare, has the biggest effect on the people of God. Spiritual warfare. I can't tell you that in the scriptures I can see where Elijah was under attack from the enemy, but I could tell you that Jezebel was demon-possessed and there was a spiritual war going on. So hear my heart. I want to be true to the scripture. But spiritual warfare is one that's forgotten so often, but it's so real. We have to remember we're not just human beings with emotions having temporary spiritual experiences. I'm gonna say that again. It's a great, great quote from Chris. We're not just human beings with emotions having temporary spiritual experiences. You are created in the image of God and have his Holy Spirit living inside you. You are a spiritual being having a temporary human experience. You are a spiritual being for whatever many years God gives you on this earth having a physical experience, but you're spiritual first. You're, you're created in the image of God. He knew you before you was ever born. David says he knitted himself. He knitted me in my mother's womb. He created him. You're, you're a spiritual being. And I'm gonna tell you something here today. I don't know everybody in here, probably like I ought to, but the devil is real. I don't want to give him a whole lot of credit. I don't want to give him a whole lot of space here this morning, voice time. But he is real. And you may not believe in him. A lot of movements today, Christian movements, that don't believe the devil is real. But can I tell you, whether you believe in him or not, doesn't make him go away. <laughs> Come on. It doesn't make him go away. He is real. He is real. The problem we're having, and we're going to go to First Peter here, this closing scripture, is many of you are not alert to this. You know it, but you're not alert, see, to this fact. You're sleeping on the job. First Peter 5, 8 says, be alert and sober. Be alert and sober-minded. In other words, be on guard and be in your right mind. Be on guard and be aware, sober your enemy, the devil, prowls around like what? A roaring lion looking for someone to eat up, devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith, 
because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Some of y'all need to sober up and become alert. Don't roll over. Don't give in. Don't isolate. Don't ruminate. Don't. You need to fight the battle because it's a spiritual battle. You have an enemy that wants to do nothing more than to destroy you. God may not allow him to kill you physically. He's going to come against your thoughts, your minds, your situations, and he is going to have a heyday in you and with you. And he's going to sling you around like a, I should say like a lion and a gazelle, but I think more like a great white shark and a seal. He's just going to shake you and rip you apart. He's prowling around, blending in. So often you don't even know he's there. He's just waiting to pounce on you. You better be alert, ready to resist him, ready to engage in spiritual warfare. And that's exactly what Ephesians 6 tells us. It says, put on the full armor of God that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. God's given you your armor. Matter of fact, he's given you his armor. It's all founded in the word of God. Every piece of that armor is found in what you know and believe about the word of God, with the exception of praying in the spirit. But even that comes from the word of God. Amen? But you have to put it on. You got to be sober, right? Got to be alert. Wake up. Be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of what's going on. I'm having this feeling. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Where's that feeling come from? My wife said this to me. Okay, wait a minute. Okay, she said this to you, but she's not the enemy. No more than the husband is the enemy. No more than that parent who cussed you out because you told them what their child did in your classroom and that child never does anything wrong at home. Pray for that parent that God will cause the scales to fall off. But the enemy's there. Why? He wants to discourage you. Just like at work, at home, wherever, even here at church. Some of us can be used to the devil not even know we're being used. But you be aware of that. Don't take it personal. Know that he's an enemy. Especially you all that's in leadership. I had this conversation with Jenny, Pastor Jenny, the other day. She worked so hard on her room to get it ready. Day and night, her and Pastor JP, just trying to get that room to look good for our dedication Sunday. And I told her, and I told Pastor JP this too. I said, within the next three weeks, you guys take a week off. Get it ready, get things rolling. You take a week off where you don't come to this church. Not even for church. You take a week off. Why? They were wore out. And all it would take is one person not seeing how hard they'd work, but complained about one thing that didn't get done. It's a real world for us too. It's a real world. This is how I want to close. I'm going to leave you in the cave in theory. And this may be hard for some of you. And I know that. But I'll join you. I'll join you down here. If today you're struggling with depression... You're in that cave. And all you want to do is lock yourself in a dark room and get lost in Facebook land or TV land or get a pizza. I have found out that any size pizza could be a personal pizza. Come on. And you say, you know, Pastor, I just want prayer today. We're not going to ask you anything about your life. It's not what it's about. It's about us helping you find freedom, find healing today. If you need special prayer today, I want to invite you to the altar.
thank you for joining our podcast. Here at Bear Creek AG, our goal is to help others know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Have a great week.